Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. service will be Father's Day. We just have one service on Father's Day. That's typically in the morning. And so we'll have service here in person. If you want to be here Father's Day morning on that Sunday. All right. And so I'll try to keep you abreast of whenever that may change. But uh, that don't happen too often on a calendar. Until then, Sunday school will be live streamed from your home. Amen. As we continue through our discipleship uh, series. John chapter number three, I'm going to begin reading with verse number 22 uh, here this evening, continuing with our series on the gospel of John. I hope everybody's been keeping up uh, online. Uh, If not, well, it's there. You can go back and binge watch. (laughs) You can go back and binge watch. No commercials. And uh, so John three, verse 22, the Bible states these words. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing anon near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. It's kind of a little foreshadowing there. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Tonight, on this 10th part of John, I'd like to entitle this this evening, Success, Faithful to the Call. Success colon faithful to the call and uh, before I pray I do want to say the parents that are here with children I know that this is a different format for you on Wednesday uh, but these kids can do it I grew up sitting on a church pew on Wednesdays listening to my pastor and not not just bishop but pastor Sizemore do Wednesday night Bible studies so they're going to make it it's going to be okay Amen. But I appreciate you bringing them anyway. Amen. To the house of the Lord, knowing that the format is different right now for them. All right. Amen. Father, I come to you tonight. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, let my mind and my heart, God, be pure and untainted before you. Help us this evening. God, as we look at your word yet again, God, we know these are the words of life, God, and that it extends a life, God, to those, Lord, who would hear and apply it, God, to their own. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, tonight, God, let your verses and words, Lord, arise from the pages. God, able to help us, Lord God, in our everyday living. And we will not fail to praise you and thank you for it in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray 
amen and amen. Can the church say amen? Amen. And instead of just God bless you, God bless you, you may be seated. I haven't had to say that in a long time, that people could be seated. I figured they took the, the, the privilege of sitting in their own home. I didn't have to tell them they could. Amen. Can we just real quickly tonight give a hand clap for those who for the past 12 weeks have kept things just going around here with live stream and singing and uh, just a few of them, but they have been very faithful to the task in order to maintain things around here. And we appreciate that wholeheartedly. The fourth gospel, the gospel of John as is the the practice of the fourth gospel, uh, John shares a portion of Jesus' ministry in Judea, uh, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not concentrate very much on Jesus' ministry in Judea. There's not much, if any, in some of them, things recorded there. The other gospels speak of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and John does too, but he also tells us about the time in Judea. And so Jesus did have a ministry in Judea, uh, estimated time about 12 or 14 months between his temptation in the wilderness and when John the Baptist was beheaded or when he was more so in prison. There was a series of months there that Jesus did ministry in Judea and his ministry during that time frame overlapped John the Baptist's ministry as well. And so we have Jesus and John the Baptist that are both ministering at the same time. And so it's in these verses when they are ministering at the same time that the Bible reads relays to us that found both John the Baptist and Jesus were both baptizing people uh, before John was ever taken and cast into prison. And so some of the disciples of John the Baptist came unto John with a concern. And what they did was basically this. They attempted to compare and contrast these two individual corresponding ministries. They began to compare and contrast Jesus baptizing people and John the Baptist baptizing people. And probably one of the reasons why they did this is because where John was baptizing and where Jesus was baptizing, they they were close to one another. It wasn't as though they were baptizing a great distance from one another. If I may, to put it into modern day terms, they were neighboring ministers. They were neighboring ministers. They had neighboring works or churches, if you will. And so there were some of the disciples that were trying to make these ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus a numbers game about who was baptizing more disciples, who was baptizing more people. Although John the Baptist and Jesus both had a common goal, of seeing people converted, of seeing people baptized. These disciples came questioning John the Baptist about some things. And so, in essence, this passage of Scripture really hits that to the core that there are some ministries and there are some people and there are some even churches, for that matter, that gauge the success of a church or even gauge the success of a ministry or minister based upon the number of baptisms, the number of people that's received uh, the Holy Ghost, uh, 
sadly, even sometimes in apostolic churches where uh, there is one apostolic church that's close to another apostolic church, perhaps within the same city or town, they may feel like sometimes, and I say feel like, it may not be reality, but they may feel like sometimes that they are in competition with one another. Amen. Who has the bigger building? Right? Uh, who, who, has, who has a larger attendance? Who is more financially stable than the other? Who has the better programs? Amen. For that matter, uh, one or maybe the other may feel more entitled, all right, <laughs> to the people in their community or the people in their city because maybe they have on their side or what they would call on their side, our church was there first. See, this would be easy just talking to you all, but I'm talking to the whole world out there. You know, our church was there first, so uh, if anybody should come to anybody's church, it should be the one that was there established in that community or in that city first. Or perhaps maybe another church helped get Uh, another apostolic church started within the same vicinity, but now that one that they helped get started in that same vicinity, it has surpassed them in building size. Or perhaps in membership. And they might be feeling like, I helped you get to where you're at. (laughs) Folks, let me tell you something right from the go. Something personally in my life that I've learned and I believe that I'm still learning and hope will continue to learn and that is this true success is being faithful where God has called you and to the plan that he has called you for that is success because if it were a mere numbers game or the bigger is the more successful type of mentality then our dear Old Testament prophet Jeremiah would have definitely been by all accounts a failure. Because the scripture says he delivered a message that no one else wanted to listen to, that nobody else it would seem would even believe in for that matter, yet he was faithful to speak the words that God placed in his heart and in his mouth. And sure, he was upset that people did not adhere to what he was saying or did not even obey what the word of the Lord was coming through him. But although that was the case, Jeremiah didn't just just kick dust, you know, in the direction of that place and leave that opportunity that he had. He stayed and remained the steady voice of truth in that area. And so I back up and I look at Jeremiah. He didn't have groves of people that were coming to repent and change, but Jeremiah was a success because he stayed at the task that God had called him to in spite of what the reaction, the response of the people may have been. And so when we read this passage of Scripture, starting in verse 22, uh, this is sometime after when Jesus has already, of course, spoken to Nicodemus and discussed with Nicodemus about being born again, being born of the water, and being born of the Spirit. 
And he's now found, Jesus is, after talking to Nicodemus about these things, being born of water, he is now found, along with his disciples, baptizing in the Jordan. Chapter number 4 and verse number 2 of that chapter tells us and clarifies for us that Jesus himself wasn't baptizing, but his disciples were baptizing. So as this was taking place, here's Jesus. You got a picture. Jesus is somewhere along the Jordan bank baptizing disciples. Somewhere else along that same Jordan bank is John the Baptist who baptized Jesus, baptizing disciples close in the same area. They're both doing the same thing. They're both in the same area, and yet Scripture denotes to us there is no rivalry between John the Baptist and Jesus, though they're in the same area, doing the same thing, and one may be having more numbers baptized than the other. There's no rivalry, one between the other. Look, if you will, John 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. And so we know according to the word of the Lord, Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. And yet John the Baptist had been doing this long before Jesus came along to start his public ministry. Do you understand if John the Baptist didn't have the right type of mentality, how easy it would have been for him? Who does he think he is? I was baptizing in Jordan before his feet ever got wet. You understand what I'm saying? And now he's baptizing more disciples than I'm baptizing disciples. But we don't see one inkling in Scripture that John the Baptist was upset because Jesus was having more success, if someone wanted to call it that, of doing the same thing that he was doing. <laughs> For that matter, we read in the scripture, verse 23, it states that John also was, was baptizing. That phrase, was baptizing, is in a tense, which means this, that John was baptizing one right after another. As almost, as almost John had a line of people that after he got done baptizing one, here come another. So John isn't as a, at a total loss here uh, of baptizing individuals as well. It's just that Jesus was baptizing more than John. John has a steady flow, but evidently Jesus has even more so of a steady flow. And yet there are no ill feelings between the two ministries. Let me tell you, in today's even religious world, that's a miracle within itself. Because we, we love to tote New Testament scripture about rejoice with them that rejoice and mourn with them that mourn. But we have an easier uh, case of mourning with those that mourn than we do rejoicing with those that rejoice. I'm just talking a level of churches and individuals. Sometimes it's di more difficult for some to rejoice when things are going somebody else's way than it is if they were down the dumps and being able to mourn with them. Hmm. Some, swear, see, the mindset of the church, first apostolic church even here needs to be, that if I hear a good another apostolic church not far from here, having people baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, that's not me looking back with disdain and say, well, I wonder what they're letting down on. No, 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 no. That's me that should be rejoicing. Thank God. Why? Because we're not competitors. We are teammates. We're, we're teammates in this. And so we should be rejoicing with one another. We're, we're not in competition. Amen. If they had someone baptized, the church had somebody baptized. 
I'm talking about the church had somebody baptized. And so there was a question then that came up between some of John the Baptist's disciples and the Jews. And the wording in Scripture almost portrays to indicate or indicates that the disciples of John initiated this question, which uh, the Greek goes a little deeper. King James is kind. They had a question. It really goes deeper. They had a dispute. They had an argument. They had an argument about this whole purifying stuff this which meant the cleansing or freeing someone's life from filth and when we start talking about purifying or they're talking about purifying right here we've been talking about already baptism Jesus has to Nicodemus we're going to talk about baptism here in the passages that I read to you so the immediate context of this whole purifying idea no doubt is is pointing toward baptism and so they may even be talking about the old ritual cleansing cleansing and customs of the Jews compared to actual baptism of John and that of Jesus Christ nonetheless it led to a dispute and I am of the persuasion the dispute just wasn't over the purifying aspect but these disciples come to John the dispute was over who was baptizing more John the John the Baptist's disciples like This guy, John, that you baptize, that you gave witness to, is, let me put it in modern day terms, he's outdoing us. And so they come to John. Look at it, if you will, verse 26. And they came, John 3, 26. And they came unto John and said to him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men, are come to him. Now, you got to understand, John doesn't have a problem. Jesus don't have a problem. But some of the people that said under John and Jesus have a problem. They have a slanted view because they've already been arguing. They have already been, been disputing. And they're telling John, hey, in case you don't know, Jesus is baptizing too. And they kind of, they're, they're, they're speaking very elastically. All men, all men, All men are going to Jesus. Yet as I've already told you, the Bible describes that John also was baptizing, meaning one after another after another. So what we have here in the Scripture, Scripture is so good because it it colors in all the areas, folks. What we have here in Scripture is when somebody made a competition out of how many people were baptized. One of the first instances. (laughs) It's not left some today. Of how many were baptized. Not only that, John, look at John here. John drew the attention to Jesus as being, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John had baptized Jesus, but now Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more than John. And if you remember, John the Baptist was interrogated by the Pharisees. They came to him and they said basically this, what right do you have to baptize? You remember that? If you're not the Christ, if you're not that prophet, if you're not Elias, then what right do you have to baptize? And for these people, for John's disciples, all of this doesn't seem fair to them. It doesn't seem fair that you baptized him, you were questioned about baptizing, all these things and yet he's baptizing more folks we just got and and I say this in in a correct manner and maybe the word choice isn't just exactly right but we got to grow uh, confident and comfortable with and how God uses us all right 
the Bible, this is an Old Testament story, and I got some scripture here back to back. Uh, Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 27. This is an Old Testament story. Moses, of course, is the deliverer, all right? Uh, he he is, has Joshua under his wing. Of course, Joshua is going to take Moses' place after Moses dies. But there's been a call of the 70 elders of all of Israel to come together. The Bible speaks that God was going to take the spirit that was upon Moses and he was going to place it upon these 70. Amen. To help Moses in leadership. And this is what the scripture says. So they were also, these 70 elders were supposed to gather together. And the Bible says in verse 27, and there ran a young man. And told Moses, now here it is again, uh, there's probably something in this, but in many of these instances, the leader himself didn't have no problem. It was the people that was under him that had the issue. And it comes and he says, there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad, which were to be two of these 70 elders, do prophesy in the camp. They did not make the gathering together of the 70. They were still out in the camp somewhere. He's, and whenever, whenever the spirit came upon them that was upon Moses, the Bible said that those 70 began to prophesy. Well, these two boys, or gentlemen, I might say, was not in the meeting. They were still out in the camps. And this young man witnessed them out in the camp. Eldad, wouldn't you like? Those would be good twin names, wouldn't they? Eldad and me, Dad. Amen. Just call them L and me for short. Who's your dad? Me, dad. <laughs> they do prophesy in the camp. So they're, they're kind of like tattling, you know, the Moses on these. The Bible says in verse 28, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men answered and said, my Lord, Moses, forbid them. Look at verse 29. And Moses said unto him, envious thou for my sake. You know what he's saying? You have a problem with this? I don't have a problem with this. You got an issue with this? I don't have an issue with this. Envious thou for my sake. Would God, he said, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. In other words, Moses says, I don't have an issue. I know they weren't here in the gathering, but if they begin to prophesy out in the camp, will God bless them? That's tremendous. Let that go on. Moses wasn't intimidated by what was taking place there. His spirit being put upon other people and them being able to serve and work together is exactly what he wanted. And whether they were in the meeting or outside the meeting, Moses just saying, God's will and purpose is being done. And so that's what I'm supporting. That's what I'm getting under. Whatever God's will and purpose is. So if those boys are going to prophesy, bless God, let them prophesy. If that church is going to have five or ten get the Holy Ghost in one week, my God, let them get it. If they're going to have to build a bigger building over there, my goodness, let them do it. Because the kingdom overall then is benefited. Buy it. Here's the thing, folks. When we go to heaven someday, it's not going to be a first apostolic church on, on 1121 Cedar Street in heaven. Right? It's not going to be the Illinois churches and the Michigan churches and the Alaskan churches and the Russian churches. No. We're all going to be inhabiting this same space. Hallelujah. And that one that was bigger than you and you smaller than it, you all won now. We're all one right now. We're just separated by our locations. But then we're all one. Amen. The Bible gives us a New Testament example of this as well. In Mark chapter number 9. 9 and verse number 38. We don't have the me dad, el dad names. But the Bible says, And John answered him saying, Master, 
we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. He's not part of our group. And we forbade him. And don't you be casting the devil out anybody in Jesus' name. <laughs> we forbade him because he followeth not us because he's not with our group. Verse 39, but Jesus said, forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. He said in one of the other gospels this. He said, he that is not against us, he said, is for us. You know what? Jesus had this concept that this is bigger than just my 12. Huh? This is bigger than my 12. And this thing called salvation and this thing called the church and this thing called the bride of Christ, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than the state of Indiana or Illinois. It's bigger than the United States. It's bigger than North America. It's bigger than just us. Amen. So I don't need to get twisted over somebody else's influx or something that looks better than what I have here in Mount Carmel. Amen? The Bible states these words. Look, this, this needs to be our response. I told you I had several scriptures here back to back, but this needs to be our response. Luke chapter number 5. I think this pictures this somewhat well. Luke 5 and verse number 3, and I'm going to read this story to you. It's several verses, but just bear with me. It may be familiar to some. Speaking of Jesus, when it says he in verse 3, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or for a haul, a load of fish. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. In Simon's terms, they hadn't been very successful. He, Jesus says, nevertheless, at thy, Peter says, rather, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Singular, plural. That's for another thing. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Look at verse number 7. This is just mind-boggling. And they, Simon and his brother Andrew, and they beckoned unto their partners. Two other boys, John and James, who also had a boat, who also were fishermen, who had also taken in nothing. They called for what they call here in Scripture their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them with this load of fish. And they came, and the Bible says, filled both the ships so that they began to sink. So the right response of Peter and his brother Andrew and the others, James and his brother John, the Bible says they were partners. Each pair of individuals had a fishing boat out on the water, they seem to have been fishing close or near to one another. They had toiled all night. They had taken nothing. But the Bible says that Jesus steps on Peter and Andrew's boat and tells them to launch out into the deep and let down their nets for a haul 
of fish. And they enclosed more fish than what their net could handle. Their net break. Notice, when that's going on, we have nothing recorded in Scripture that the other two, James and John over here on their boat, is looking over at Peter and Andrew, arms folded, disdain. Who do they think they are? We fish these same waters. Why should they be getting this load of fish? And we suffered with nothing tonight too. We don't see there's no critical spirit that's going on. Amen. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, we don't see that Peter and Andrew, we don't see that they wrestled with the abundance of the fish that they were bringing in all by themselves. Chancing that they might lose a fish or two. They weren't wrestling with that on their own. No, the Bible says they called for what the scripture calls their partners. They called for and they called for Peter, or rather they called for John, and they called for James to come alongside them to help them get these fish. And the Bible says when they both headed to shore, both sets of these pairs had their boats full of fish. How in the world can that happen? Because in today's world, if they come here, they stay here, they don't go anywhere else. And if anybody ever moves anywhere else, even if it's legitimate. Let me tell you something, folks. I've taught people in my office 26-week home Bible studies that are no longer in this church. But because of movement, they are in another church and they're still saved and they're going strong for God. I'm not shaking my head in disdain because I spent 26 weeks of my life teaching them a Bible study and they're not here. I'm happy because they're still in the house of God. You hear what I'm saying? We had some sweet couples around here that we had fellowship with and they had to move. And when they moved, I didn't write them off and say, well, they can just go figure out where there's a good church where they're going. You know, you know what I did? I recommended a church to them and the pastor that I recommended them to, I called him and told them, be looking out. This couple's probably going to be coming. They've had a job move. I didn't sit back and fold my arm, Sister She, and say, well, bless God. There goes, you know, however many from our church. No, 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 no. His church is bigger than 1120. Cedar Street. They were going to a good truth preaching church. You know what I was saying? Hey partners, help me out. I got some fish over here that need to go into your boat and we can both get to shore perhaps someday and lose none. Amen. Amen. I don't have any people. They're all God's people. We've had people come here whenever tragic things have happened to, to heal, to repair, and then maybe years down the road, some of you have even made relationships with them, and they went back to the church that they had come from. And you know what? I don't put their hand down on a stake and drive it. No, no, no. Because God's church is so much bigger than this. Sometimes people, if they can't, if they can't attend here and be safe from here, then they need to go to a church they can be, get to heaven to. Amen. I ain't telling you that it isn't disheartening sometimes and difficult, but it's not because there's malice in my heart. It's just because anytime you suffer a loss is a loss. Amen. And so here's James and John, Peter and Andrew. They're all going back to shore. They have these fish because someone was willing to say, you know what? Mine is thine and thine is mine. And we're going to get to the shore together. <laughs> here's the thing. 
Peter and Andrew, look at this though. Peter and Andrew didn't like walk the dog as though they had it all together and figured it out. We got this big load, but God, we can take care of it, you know. We got it all figured out and together. No, 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 no. Because realize, a moment earlier, their nothing was as empty as James and John's nothing. Huh? In the same location, on the same body of water, in the same night. Watch me right here. It just so happens that Jesus stepped onto Peter's and Andrew's vessel. And they were obedient to his instruction. Just, it could have been flip-flopped. It could have been that Jesus could have easily stepped on John and James's vessel. And them fall. It just all took place out. But here's what the Lord was doing with this whole little uh, instance. He told them to fear not. He told them all. He said, fear not. He said in verse 10 of, of, of the scripture here of Luke chapter 5. He said, fear not because henceforth ye shall catch men. What he did for them right there in the moment with their whole little fishing endeavor seemed to be a test about if they can do it with fish, then I can trust them with men. Because henceforth, he said, you're going to catch men. Amen. And so these disciples of John come to him, belly aching, saying whatever you want to, trying to draw the, the, the strong lines of comparison and contrast between him and Jesus. But John being the, the man that he is and having the temperament that we have seen him have this far in the gospel, he straightens things out. And he lets them know, guys, success isn't about who's baptizing more or who did it first or even how close the other person is to me where I'm baptizing Boys, I'm not in competition with Jesus Christ. That would be a tall tree to bark up anyway, but I, I'm not in competition with Jesus Christ. He tried to relate to these guys. Listen, we, we play on the same team. This is important. Anybody that's involved in sports, even Landon and, 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 and Logan can tell you this. Concerning playing sports on a team, you got to know your position. And as long as everybody plays their position and play it well, it's going to be the overall benefit of the team. If you ever have someone that tries to play everybody's position, something is lost. You got to grow comfortable and confident with the position that you have been called to man and do it with excellence. And let the chips fall where they may. Because at the end of the night, if you quote unquote lo lost, you know confidently for yourself, I did the best that I could do paying the position that was given me. It was just not our time. You hear me? But if we're, we're, if we're in this game of, of always vying for somebody else's or they have a better position or I should have had that, I'm more quiet, all that type of stuff, then we will never, amen, be able to go forward in God's kingdom the way that we want to because God has set every individual as he sees fit according to their several ability because God knows the overall outcome of it all. And when we all play our part, 
everybody's going to benefit. And so this was John's words unto these disciples. He says in verse 27, these are important words. Amen. For our lesson tonight, success, faithful to the call. He says, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Now, nothing is one of those words that I tell my kids, you know, it's one of the biggest words in, in the English language. Like never and nothing, things like that. Those are big. She's like, you know, when they come into the kitchen, say, we have nothing to eat. That's a big word. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it probably really don't apply. But whenever it speaks here in John that a man can receive nothing. Jesus is not mincing words here through, through John the Baptist. He's meaning exactly what it says. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. And so what this does for us, this verse keeps things for us in perspective and for others. Because John the Baptist, look at it now. John the Baptist knew what he received from heaven. John the Baptist received a mandate from heaven to be all the way back in the first chapter, a witness of the light. John, that's your position. You're on this team here, John, see? And here's, what, here's, here's the focus. Here's what we want you to do. Bear witness of the light. And so John had this mandate from heaven to bear witness of the light. What others call be the forerunner of Christ. And so as a result of this, he is born six months before Jesus is born in order to prepare the way for Jesus. As a result of this, John, he was baptizing initially in Jordan because the Lord had already told him, I'm going to manifest to Israel who is the Messiah because whoever you baptize and it's as a dove that comes down and lands upon them, that's the one. Amen. So John is fulfilling his position of bearing witness to the light. John the Baptist is the one that we've already read that he's taken some of his own disciples and turning their attention toward Jesus. Jesus walks by. He tells the boys walking with him, hey, behold the Lamb of God. And those disciples that were John's begin to follow Jesus Christ. What's he doing? He's bearing witness to the light. You hear me? He could say, oh, I'm not losing no disciples. He knew his place. He knew his position. So he points Jesus out and others follow him. John even accepted in scripture. He said it on more uh, than one occasion. He said, this Jesus that is coming after me, he is preferred before me. He's bearing witness of the light. John said and admitted even. He said, I am not the Christ. When others thought he was, he said, I am not the Christ. He knew his role was the forerunner and not the Messiah. And so what we need to come to terms with in our everyday lives is this. We must be the you that God has called us to be. You got to be the position and play out the position that God has called you to. Here's the thing. You cannot judge your place and your position by somebody else's calling. And by somebody else's position. Because if you're judging your place by somebody else's place, you're going to live in frustration. And you're going to have this eye that they always have it better. Everything's given to them on a silver platter. I'm telling you. 
Amen. He'll get in your spirit and your mentality. You can only judge your calling and position, amen, by where God has called you and positioned you. Amen. John was called to be the witness of the light, but Jesus was called to be the light. John's position was a forerunner, but Jesus' position was to be the Savior of the world. And so both John and Jesus met the criteria of serving in the position that they were supposed to serve in and when the story's all said and done John loses his head right and Jesus is crucified and someone I mean real true people would sit back and look like man it was a failure John was beheaded and Jesus was crucified but even those two things happened in their life was nothing more than them being successful to their calling amen and successful to their position. And yet there's some over. Well, who baptized more? Who baptized more? That isn't the question. The question is this. Who was faithful to the call God had for them? And with the things he gave them from heaven? That's the question. And the answer is both John and Jesus was successful. Regardless the numbers game. I remember years ago. And. To my knowledge, they don't do this anymore. But nonetheless, years ago, whenever we evangelized, um, they had us keep track of how many people received the Holy Ghost at revivals and got baptized. We got, had to turn that in annually. And they just wanted to kind of get a feel for Holy Ghost and baptisms with the teams that were out there. And I understand if maybe just overall as a department, they wanted to know people getting Holy Ghost and, and be baptized in Jesus' name. But if you're not careful, that could have very easily went over into waters of evangelistic teams in the mission field trying to compete with numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not well, so-and-so preaches better than such-and-such. No, 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 no. It's not this one preaches better than another one. They have a call and a position. And their composition doesn't look like this man's composition. Now, your opinion might be that you deem this one a success and that one a failure. But if they're being faithful to how God has made them and called them to work, they're a success regardless who says what. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 7, this is in the King James I don't know if you guys were able to get God's word translation, that is. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But we'll go to that after this. The Bible says, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? God's word translation says that same verse like this. Who says that you're any better than other people? What do you have that wasn't given to you? If you were given what you have, why are you bragging as if it weren't a gift? This, I'm moving just a little bit. <laughs> I haven't moved in a while. Just a little. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Some people, well, you know, they have special talent, special giftings, ability. <laughs> Anything that you got, you received. 
So I can't showcase as though I'm the whole Happy Meal plus an extra side of fries. Because what I have, I received. I can't brag about it. Because anything I have, Bishop, I received from God. And so it's important to recognize the gifts that God has given you and the talents that God has given you and the abilities, whatever you wish to call them, that God has given you. And ask yourself when you look introspectively concerning those things God has given you, are you using them for the purpose God intended for those to be used in? Hear me. Because some people have talents and abilities that they've misappropriated. They have them, but they've used them for everything else except the kingdom. All right? And so we got to take inventory because if God's given them to us, he's really the owner of them. We're just the stewards of them. Amen. Amen. You say, well, Brother McGee, uh, for, I honed my skill for years. Well, where do you think that first innate ability and inclination came from? From God. Well, Brother McGee, five generations back, all of the men in the family have such and such. It's genetic, Brother McGee. Well, where do you think some of those genetic dynamics came from to start with? Well, you know, the McGees are just good at blah, blah, blah. How do you think that's so? They didn't receive it unless God gave it. Amen. Oh, God. Amen. Look, this is the New American Standard Bible. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. That's one reason why whenever you see things starting to burgeon, even within uh, family members or your children, whatever that is that may be flourishing in their life, gift, talent, and ability, some way direct them in a fashion how they can use that for the kingdom. Because if that's come to them, that's come to them because God has given it to them. Direct them. That's, that's where we come along and train up our children in the way that they should go. The Bible speaks about in that verse how there is a natural inclination or bend. What you do, come alongside them and show them how to use that natural inclination toward the kingdom because that originally come from God. That ability, that skill, that whether they honed it or it's a, you know, a Roberts thing. <laughs> that, that, that's all from God. And so we've received nothing except it be given us from heaven. See, this is what arrogance does. Arrogance says, I'm just that good. But humility says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Man, I just have a, I just have a natural ability just to stand up and speak and just talk to people. Use that for the kingdom. Well, I don't know. I, listen, well, I just had this ability that God just allowed me to climb the corporate ladder and make X amount of money. Use that for the kingdom. I, I have the ability to fly all over the world. 
Use that for the kingdom, whatever it may be. Well, I have a beautiful voice to sing. Use that for the kingdom. All these different measures. John wanted to make it plain. I'm running, trying to make hundred. John 3 and verse 29. He tells them, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. John's saying, that's Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He's saying Jesus is the bridegroom. He says, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. You guys have come along trying to make me and Jesus at odds. You guys have come along trying to make me and Jesus contrast and compared. He says, I'm here to tell you I'm Jesus' best man. I'm, I'm Jesus's best man. He was the friend of the bridegroom. And according to Jewish custom, we could go real deep in this right now, but I'm just hitting the tops of the trees for, for our understanding here tonight. According to Jewish custom, being the friend of the bridegroom, John the Baptist would have acted like the liaison between the bride and the bridegroom. That meant among his duties, a man as the friend of the bridegroom was to guard the bridal chamber to make sure there was no false love allowed in there. He would, for that matter, open the door when he heard and recognized the voice of the bridegroom. He would open the door to the chamber for he and his bride to go inside. And John says, when I hear the voice of the bridegroom, that he and his bride are going into the chamber to consummate their marriage, he says, my joy is fulfilled in that. How in the world, John? Because I've known my position from the very beginning. I'm a forerunner. I bear witness to the light. I'm doing whatever I can do to draw people's attention to that. I'm doing whatever I can do to get Jesus out there to pair him with his bride. And so whenever I hear his voice, that he and his bride has went to the chamber to consummate their marriage, he says, then my joy is fulfilled. Why? Because you baptize more than Jesus? No. But because I fulfilled my position, I knew my call, I settled my role. Amen. I settled my role. His joy was fulfilled because he was faithful to his call and his purpose, and he esteemed Christ, and then he himself decrease if you'll stand for me tonight i'll come to a close sadly there are some churches and i'm speaking over there's some churches there's some pastors there's some ministries even within churches that whenever i say ministry i'm not necessarily talking about preaching ministry teaching ministry i'm just talking about people that serve and in, in super church and people that are teachers and there's ministries even within the church there are some that will never be joyful as john was because they're constantly trying to mirror the ministry, the role, and the function of something or someone to a place that they've not been called to. Their joy may even deplete. We could call it that. And our musicians may come. Their joy may even deplete. Because rather than seeing themselves as serving on the same team, this is what happens. They see every individual that is, according to their standards and by their measure, every individual that's succeeding, they see that person as a competitor to them. And our world has really set this up because our world has made society, men to men, women to women, we're all competitors. 
Why? Because there's ladies even today saying, I'm not as pretty as she is. She's thinner than me. Her style of dress. There's a competition. Real, known, unknown, subliminal, whatever. Men, well, I don't care how he looks. Well, you might not. But you might care about what his career is. What type of job he has. What type of house he lives in. How many toys he has. I'm serious. And so society by a certain means has, has put us in this position to be competitors. And so we take that same competitiveness that's in the world and we bring it into the church. And so then that one doesn't teach as well as I do. Or I, I do better with the kids than that one does. Or you might not be on the proud side. You might be the, I'll never be as good as them. I'm just saying. And so you got this thing going, no, 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 no. Success isn't, isn't all these. Success isn't. <laughs> Folks, you, you got, let me, in pastoral ministry and ministry in general, I had to learn a long time ago. Success wasn't about if the crowd was on their feet, clapping their hands and yelling, Preach it, brother! <laughs> because over the years of traveling, I had more. That right there. It's not about that. It's about doing what God has called us to, being faithful to where God has called us, and to the plan he has designed for our individual lives. So what we do, we're not seeking out the numbers game, we're seeking out his plan. And here's the thing, the glorious thing about the Lord. You know what? There's some services, Sister Sheila, it was as though God stepped on my ship. And there were other services as though I was the one looking him stepping on somebody else's ship. But we were both doing the same role for the same kingdom. And though I may have felt like my time wasn't happening then, you know what I know? My time will come. Just got to stay faithful. Faithful to the task. Faithful to the responsibility. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray right now. We bow our heads all across this place. Hallelujah. Sir, ma'am, God may have endowed you with some abilities and talents and giftings. And you may see and think, Maybe on the surface level, the, the only place that that can apply is here. And maybe it's a secular thing or maybe it's something concerning your household that you can see it can only apply. But you need to dig a little deeper because you've not received anything that hasn't come from heaven, that hasn't come from heaven. And so if he's endowed you with certain giftings or talents or abilities, and maybe you don't even really see it within yourself. Maybe you need the help of your spouse or even your kids to be able to uh, unearth what that may be. But there is some place, some way that God wants you to be able to turn that back around and use it for his kingdom. It's not about numbers. It's not about him being better. That one doing, oh, there are more of a smooth talker. Or that one's this. Da, 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 da. Your mind can run a gamut of things. Your success it's not the applause of other individuals. Your success. It's not some award or little star you get on your lapel. Your success is knowing that you've done with excellence what God has asked you to do with what he's given you in order to do it. That's success. There's no place for us to be in competition when we're trying to be teammates. There's no place 
Hallelujah. For us trying to play every position or each other's position when God's called us to a certain place and a task. Let's flourish in that and operate in that and let God get all of the glory. Hallelujah. If anybody wants to come to this altar tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.